Hello and welcome to the fourth Desert Island Punks podcast. I'm Jake and I play in punk rock band Jake and the Jellyfish and this is my podcast where I interview friends of mine and people I admire in the punk rock scene. I ask them what five albums, book and luxury item they would take to a desert island and we chat about how those choices have influenced who they are today. In this episode I sat down with Leeds-based music producer Bob Cooper. He's one of the friendliest people I'll ever meet and his knowledge for recording is second to none. He's been working his ass off in his Cottage Road studio for years now, working with some of the most exciting bands in the scene and creating a well-deserved reputation for being one of the best producers going. I really hope you enjoy the interview and please subscribe if you enjoy. Fuck yeah. Alright, so we're on board. Cool. Uh, whenever you're ready to go, we've got to pretend to do the whole, we haven't spoken yet. Alright. So, uh, Bob Cougar, welcome. Hiya. How are you doing? I'm really good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm alright. I'm, I'm quite warm. Your studio is pretty warm. I could put the air conditioner on. No, that's on, cool. But it don't don't do anything noise. special for me. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> um, what have you been up to? I have been recording a band called Big Thing today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we recorded drums for four songs. And I did a thing with a snare drum that I've never done before. So I'm really. What was that thing? Just like I could never really nail really deep, low tunings on the snare. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's because I didn't dampen it enough. And, and I thought I was dampening it enough and then it always just kind of had a bit of a resonance that I didn't like. So I just went all in on the dampening and it sounded sick. But I used to be really scared of doing that because if I did that, then when I make it brighter, because if you dampen something, mm-hmm. if you deaden it, you make it darker. And then if you brighten it in Logic or Pro Tools or whatever afterwards, you risk bringing out a load of hi-hat. But the drummer hit his right. hi-hats really softly. So that That's quite problem. unusual, isn't it, really? Especially for drummers. As far all drummers uh, I know, yeah, everything he was really hard. Fucking great. This dude. <laughs> yeah. And you hit the hi hats really softly, hit the snare really hard, which is like what I try and get everyone to do oh. all the time. Yeah, because I remember when we recorded it before, you put like a bit of wood underneath the snare. Yeah, I was talking, actually, I just did a video and I talked about the bit of wood. The bit of wood makes the snare brighter as well, because the brighter the snare, the better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that kind of blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. That's a chunk of wood. It's well so. Yeah. But yeah. It's it's like just enough of a placebo for me to think that it works. Yeah, I always wonder with studio stuff if like half of it's placebo or not. If it makes me think it works, that's really yeah. Odd. Yeah. Like, well, I mean that's half the battle, isn't it? Because at least then you you're in a good, like, you're in a good sort of uh, mind space. Yeah. For the rest, I'm of more it, confident. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. So you know the rough concept of the podcast. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Um, we usually go through each album. Yeah. Like one album first, and then we talk about that, and then, we, well, sometimes, depending on how confident the person is, we talk about what song in particular off that album they would save, okay. which is tough. <laughs> Let's hope I remember some, <laughs> yeah. I know we, which we, I never do. Yeah, we often have to, like, Google it. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Um, so, would you, do you want to start with a particular album? Ah, uh, what shall I start with? Um, I'm going to start with My Chemical Romances, Danger Days, True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys, which is... Cool. Their fourth record, everyone's least favourite record, because everyone listened to it ten years ago and thought it sucked. If you listen to that record as an adult, it is a brilliant pop rock yeah. record. 2010, right? I think so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. I'm just waiting for that ten-year anniversary <laughs> reunion. <laughs> oh, can I, I give it a quick listen beforehand? And, like, I didn't realise how many, like, bangers there were on there it. There are so many, so many bangers I just on thought it. it was going to be the one that nobody, like you said, like the one that nobody liked and therefore it didn't have any of the big hits. Yeah, and it spans loads of kind of genres within it as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, The interesting thing about that record is that they did an album before it, after the Black Parade. Mm-hmm. So, um, and they scrapped it because it was boring. Really? Yeah, it's, uh, they did release it in the end as a series of seven inches and that are on Spotify. It's called like, what's it called? I don't know. This is you can see it on Spotify. Yeah, yeah. It's something about guns or uh, conventional weapons. I think that's what it's called. Right. It's even got boring. Time. And yeah, <laughs> they they kind of they did it. They were ready to release it and everything, and then they were just like, it's just boring. It was, and it's not that it's a bad record necessarily. It's it's a punk record, and it's yeah. like kind of kind of sounds like. The, the Hives or Iggy Pop or something like that yeah, yeah. which just didn't make sense for a trajectory of that band after doing the Black Parade yeah because that was like, such like a theatrical exactly. record wasn't it yeah. and like going from that to to the record that almost was was would have just been super underwhelming yeah and I think that made Danger Days such a brilliant record because they kind of 
realised what they needed to be and what they wanted to put out, and they made something that was so fun. Such a fucking ridiculous album. Like, it's kind of Queen-y, isn't yeah. it? Like, oh, yeah, the guitarist Ray Toro, he loves Queen. You yeah. can hear it in so many of his songs. Yeah, it was like a couple of songs I listened to, like, halfway through, just like a... Like, like I don't know if it's sweet picking, but, you know, something, like, equally yeah. ridiculous that they just kind yeah. of brought out halfway through. Yeah, and that's something that I think he's been putting into my chem from all the records. Like, I know... There's definitely some songs on Three Cheers that have that kind of like yeah. solo thing going on. Because um, they were kind of a bit, used to be a bit more sort of, a bit more, yeah, like you say, punk, didn't they? Kind yeah. Of, kind of a bit more, well, I suppose emo, but like. Yeah, um, well, like, I, I think they all grew out of like, everyone grows out of playing in punk bands. Yeah, I yeah. Guess. It was like pop punk, I suppose. Maybe. Yeah. yeah like, so, so you can sort of hear the Green Day influence going Yeah, on. yeah. Yeah, that's a. Uh, it was kind of it kind of made me laugh because a lot of your choices were clearly you were a bit of like a emo pop punk kid. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, dude. Yeah, they're almost all all from that era of my life. Um, and I remember reading or like seeing a thing is like the music that you listen to when you're 14 sticks with you for the rest of your life. And I kind of I didn't like that because I want to grow and yeah learn and you know become better it, every day. I think <laughs> it's kind of true though to an extent. But then I think so. Like what I listened to when I was like 14. I then kind of ditched a little bit in my later years that's, and then kind of brought back again. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, I did the same thing. Um, like, completely didn't listen to any of those bands, really, for a long time and then came back to it and be like, why would I stop listening to this? And it was almost like it was almost like an ego thing. It's just like, no, I'm growing up now. I yeah, listen to these yeah. bands. It's, it's fucking music. Like, you got to like what you Especially, like, because like, it's kind of, I think, one of the reasons why my Chemical Romance fans kind of probably... I mean, I wasn't really much of a fan. And then I read... I heard The Black Parade or something in a car a couple of yeah. years back and I was like man this is full of hooks yeah like it's absolutely brilliant. like chock full of hooks and like I didn't really didn't like them at the time yeah and like now it's like when you get a bit older you kind of you kind of accept it's like you go like pop's okay to like yeah. you don't have to hate it just because it's catchy or it's and I think that album just from like an educational perspective of great songwriting yeah like like I and and great fucking production so it's produced by rob cavallo 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 who's done uh, a bunch of green day records like kind of every big record that guy's yeah. had a hand in and then it was mixed by this guy chris lord algae who is the top kind of rock mixer um and it's hands down it's the best sound in my chemical romance album as well in my opinion it just sounds incredible um yeah. there's a lot of layers in there yeah and like if you listen to if you listen to three cheers um, from a critical audio perspective, it sounds like shit. It's just all <laughs> mid-range. Um, it's the songs are amazing still, but the production just got better and better as they became. As I guess as they got bigger yeah. and bigger budgets and stuff, and became more and more well known. Has that like that production side of things had like an influence on the albums that you would take? Like, have you chosen not to take certain albums because of? Um, it did. Or in my original list, had a big yeah. influence. In- there was a couple of things in the list that I originally sent you that I've take, I'd taken off and changed um, that did have a big influence on me in the production sense of things. Um, that one, that Mike M1 does, and then there's another one that I'm going to talk about. Yeah, uh, maybe. And there's one that's interesting in a production, that's production thing that I'm going to talk about just because, right, yeah. yeah, it's weird. But let's... But I can move on to the second one. Yeah, well, is there any... Do you know any songs that you'd keep or one song that you'd keep from that album? Do you know um, oh, no, can I go two? Yeah, you can okay, go two. Why not? Uh, there's one called Destroyer, mm-hmm. which sounds like Mike M doing a Blur song. All right. Fucking sick. And then there's another one called... What is it called? Because I always got the name wrong. Like, I downloaded it on iTunes 2 so as a reference point, and I downloaded the wrong song. Um, I have to... That's cool. Search it. And it won't be on the top songs because no one likes this record. Even though it's sick. Well, I mean, like that. No, 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 no. That's that was a big one when it came so out. So catchy. Wasn't it? Yeah, and it's I feel like it's one of the worst songs on the records as well. Um, I think Party Poison. Yeah. The intro, drums is like the coolest fucking sounding intro. <laughs> and then there's like a it's girl really... speaking Japanese over it and it's just yeah. like wild and it's just like everything My Chemical Romance. It's like absolutely drowned in reverb, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> quite, it's quite yeah. a bold move, do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. then again, I suppose they never really shied away from that sort of thing, did they? Yeah, I think the production, like, in that kind of band as well, you can, 
there's no limits to where you can go from a production standpoint. There's no kind mm. of genre confinements that would, you know, you can't, like, I think for My Chemical Romance, it's, you can't be like, oh, they wouldn't do that. It's like, they can do whatever At they want point, because they're yeah. so extravagant in their, in yeah. their, the way that they are in, with their music. Yeah, I just, I remember hating them so much. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I get it. I, um, I don't, I hit like, them, now the, I don't. <laughs> I hit them, they hit me right at the right time. I remember seeing them, they were supporting Taking Back Sunday, and I must have been 13 or 14, and it was so sick. <laughs> and if I saw that again, I'd still think it was so sick. Well, I mean, Taking Back Sunday still doing quite a lot, aren't they? Yeah. I think they're doing a tour with Red City Radio, actually. I know, we, we, we who just you just toured with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure they're doing like a big anniversary tour, like maybe like 20th something. Fucking so, something like yeah. that, yeah. God, they've been a band for a long time. God, we're old. <laughs> yeah, I know. Really uh-huh. when you, uh... this, whole, this whole thing is just going to be be going to be me going, ah, oh, I'm so old. <laughs> this record came out 15 years it's, ago. When you see a picture of like Gerard Way now as well, like just the fact that his hair's that long and he's mm. growing a beard, you know, and you're just like... It looks like a completely different person. Yeah, he's just, oh, he's like... just grown up, I guess. Yeah, though, yeah I, mean, that, I mean, that's regardless of how he looks, like... I mean, it just reminds me that... Because in my head, Mike Emma are still recent bands. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Not yet. It's like, yeah, they only split up last year. Yeah, like, yeah. Ten years ago. It's crazy. Like, I, I still... I can still remember people going nuts about Black Parade, you know? Yeah. And just, like, wanting to hate it. Yeah. But for no real reason. You know, it's... just because you're 14 or whatever and you have to hate everything at that age. It's it's funny how every generation has, like, a, a goth, inverted commas, goth band. Yeah. So, like, this one... Like, the, it's like Creeper... At the moment, the one mm-hmm. before was like Blackfield Brides. It's like every kind of four or five year period, I think there's like a new one. Yeah. For like somebody has to fill that young teenagers to get into to kind of get more into, I guess, alternative music. And that's interesting how that how that happens. Yeah. All right. Cool. Let's move on to number two. Next band is Watch Out by Alexis on Fire. Okay. Cool. Which has heavily influenced the way I make records, and I didn't realize it until very very recently because. Mm-hmm. Um, I was loved that band and loved that album, and I think that was actually the gig, the third gig I ever went to, which is after My Chemical Romance was the second one. The first one was Him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah. Fucking loved Him. <laughs> Him's not on the list, but oh, disappointing. Um, what about their one cover? What was the cover? They ah, did? We, no, they had a few. They had the Billy. Was it a Billy Idol one? Um, I can't remember. I remember it was a. Uh, uh, That's why what? it's not on the list. But watch out. Um, yeah, I remember seeing them when I was 14 play at the cockpit in Leeds which was the best venue in Leeds and I miss it um, that was a good venue and anyway so I didn't realise the amount of effects on the guitars in Alexis on Fire song like aside from the vocals and all, all the shit that everyone likes about Alexis on Fire yeah, yeah. the way that the guitars sound on that record is so fucking cool there's so much delay there's a thing that I don't hear in a lot of records which is delay, um, delay going before distortion which gives you a different kind of sound. It's, huh. um, it can often be terrible. In this case, it's really fucking great because the delay gets more and more distorted and it kind of becomes this yeah. big, awesome mess. So can you hear that? Could you? Did you pick that out or did you find that out later? Uh, I can hear it now. Just yeah, cause, yeah. But it's one of those things that you only hear it because you do it. So um, I must have heard it, done it, just accidentally or tried it and then heard it again and being like oh that's what they're doing yeah, which yeah, I think yeah, is yeah. how I've learned a lot about production stuff is just trying something and then realising someone else did it and then leaning more into that yeah sort of thing that's quite hard to google as well isn't it like yeah. why does this sound strange yeah and I feel like there's there's more there's way more information about pedals and, and like good good YouTube channels now but there definitely wasn't until maybe the past yeah. five years yeah um I was actually I was thinking about this a while back. Um, I think I might have spoken to you about it actually, but like pedals and amps, and even guitars to an extent. If you watch a YouTube video of it, it's really it's, it's still quite difficult to understand how it's going to sound. Yep, because yeah. it, it's going through so many different microphones and channels to get to the point that you're listening to it. And it's some fucking dude doing blues rock solos. Yeah, yeah, it's always <laughs> that guy. Ah, have you? Seen, <laughs> uh, there are some really great ones though. Um, one, one of my favorite YouTube channels for pedals is Knobs. Okay. K-N-O-B-S mm-hmm. um, great name and it's yeah, just like it just sounds beautiful like yeah. it's just really pretty stuff sometimes it plays like a pedal uh, a keyboard through it sometimes it's guitars and um, that like I've fallen down a knob's hole so many times <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah and uh, 
Pro Guitar Shop ones are normally really good as well because he'll normally like like Andy the dude who does it normally just plays a Weezer song and like a Weezer song has everything I want to hear in a, yeah, in a guitar yeah. tone I know what a power chord sounds like that's basically really all I want to hear anyway well I think if you I think it's interesting because I went because obviously Jellyfish do a lot of like open chords mm. so it's like when you're looking when I was like researching what amps I want they don't tend to just bash out chords yeah. they always tend to do like solos or like little bits and like or metal yeah yeah it's really nice yeah, like, yeah. Um, yeah. but it's yeah it's hard then obviously it's hard to gauge like so I kind of always wondered how you did it but then I suppose you have the chance to experiment with what people's yeah. gear they bring in yeah. and stuff like that I have, I've had it quite a lot of times in fact probably half the gear I've got here is because someone's brought something in and I've mm-hmm. been like I don't want someone to ever ask me to recreate that sound and me not be able to do it yeah so I suppose that makes sense. buy that stuff yeah. and also I buy like a pedal a month because yeah, it's a hobby like your thing yeah yeah um, anyway back to the watch out so from a guitar sound perspective it's just brilliant and I think um, the I remember that was like the first time that I really kind of figured out what harmony in vocals was and it was like and just like what it could do emotionally and how it could mm-hmm. hit you um, I can't remember what song it is does it happen just by the killer what there's this one like just like huge sustained um, note that uh, Wade and Dallas sing and it's just it's just so good I think it's that song uh, let's load that up maybe I can think more about the actual record as well I bought the album when I was on holiday in Ireland visiting my grandma as well really? yeah I <laughs> so much that came out in 2004 yeah man um, it was very it sounds like from looks of things that's very much your era <laughs> I think almost every record <laughs> yeah that definitely was um, I think part of that was as well like when you're in your teens you've got more time oh I feel like I don't have as much time to research or find new bands mm. unless someone comes into the studio and tells me about them or I record that band. Yeah. Um, whereas when you're that age, you've got so much time to really dig in. And I remember spending like, I remember downloading so much shit off Kazaa and yeah. then LimeWire. And there was a trick with LimeWire where you could download LimeWire Pro off LimeWire. Could you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't that savvy. Uh, my I, brother was older than me and he knew how to do all the stuff, so I just kind of did what he told me. I just me. remember if you ever downloaded any reggae song ever, <laughs> it would always be labelled as Bob Marley. <laughs> like, regardless of what it was. I remember thinking I downloaded a Lost Prophets song, but it was actually with New Noise by Refused, and for like three years I thought it was a Lost Prophets song. I mean, like, if you're going to... If you're gonna make any mistake, that's a pretty like good. That's the best lost profits mistake. I yeah, made, yeah, I precisely. Yeah, that's yeah. like of all like, I mean, it's probably their best song. If it's from yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it is their best song. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think my two favorite songs on that album as well are ones that came out of singles. Um, no transistory, which was I think is a fucking great choice as a single because although it's got a chorus and a hook, it's a weird song. Yeah. Um. Like, and it's just got so much cool guitar layering and stuff. And yeah, it was just an odd choice for a single. And I think that struck me. Um, just something that was really quite melodic, but really aggressive. Yeah. And um, I'd never heard vocals like that before as well. Um, it's got a lot, a lot of emotion. In it, yeah. And it was like, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, I think at the time, like a, a Bring Me The... No, they weren't even a band yet. Um, it wasn't like a Bullet For My Valentine song or like a... At the time, like... Because the other popular thing at the time was like metalcore and shit. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't like screaming that I'd heard in the Killswitch Engage song or a Bullet For My Valentine song <laughs> right, or in the yeah, Vane yeah. Sevenfold song. It was something different. And I think it was something, I guess, more rooted in like hardcore punk. Um, like a more visceral, like... He was shouting. He wasn't... He wasn't tr- technique screaming. He yeah, was fucking yeah. shouting. He was just shouting was because sick. it was like, like yeah. that energy and that sort of, yeah. Like. Yeah. Um, that really struck me. And then there was another single that was... Uh, hey, It's Your Funeral Mama. Just because it's got a fucking sick riff in the chorus. <laughs> like a riff like that, it's like... So sick. I really like it when like you get like a pop song but like you actually and you like take it face value you know like yeah. a pop song and then like the more you listen to it like the more you hear and you're like yeah. actually this is really unusual like yeah how, like how how did they get you know because I, I fundamentally think like most bands are trying to write a pop song yeah do you know what i mean like regardless of whether they're what they're in they probably are trying to write 
Yeah. Like well, you button. want something that people will sing back to you. Yeah. In, in a lot of cases. I mean, like, not all cases, and sometimes that's a different sort of vibe. But, yeah. you're, you know, and so it's like a lot of bands are pooling their resources and going, like, how can we make this? Yeah. And I think Whatever. I think the trick is to do that and make it really unique and make it really weird in a way that, like, well, I, I guess it's just doing it in a different way and in a more exciting way. And I think, yeah, they fucking nailed it with yeah. those two songs that are singles but are weird, weird as hell singles. They were such a wave as well, weren't they, Alexis Far? Like, they absolutely, like... I mean, if you, if you go to, like, a club night, now, yeah. like a rock club night now, like, they'll still be... A bunch of Alexis on Fire songs yeah. coming out on that, and there'll still be a bunch of people singing along with them as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, every, every they, yeah, they they really nailed that um, screaming singing thing that was so popular in that at era that as well. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, what else have I got? What can I move to? I think a good. There's a logical logical one. I think a, you should move on to. I think the logical one for me. I don't know if it's the one yeah. that you think is the logical one. Okay. So I'm going to talk about Here's Legend. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought uh, you were going to say. I Am Hollywood is, uh, again, definitely heard that when I was 14. And um, again, it has the screaming, singing thing done in a weird way. Yeah. Um, I I don't know what how much I can talk, talk about this album just from like a technical or anything perspective because it's like, it's... I don't know, it's, it, I think it's got a lot of interesting chords and stuff, and I think it's got a lot of interesting imagery in the vocals. Mm-hmm. I, I think he was always a really great um, storyteller in his vocal. Yeah, actually, that's something I can talk a lot about. But the main thing that I think about on that album is how fucking loud it's mastered. <laughs> it's crushed. <laughs> it's it's like the loudest record. Like there was there was um, I was watching a creative live course, um, just like a snippet of it with this. Um, producer and mixer and mastering engineer called Jesse Cannon he's fucking great he's got a podcast he's done a bunch of books as mm-hmm. well um, and he was like we can't all make I Am Hollywood because like, <laughs> like that's how well known to be it's like is it good loud though is it I, uh, I don't know no not at all it's totally crushed if I would love to I'd love to do it myself or someone to do a 2019 remaster of it really? because I guess um I guess for people who don't know, from like 2000-ish onwards, there was this thing called the Loudness Wars. And everyone thought if they made a louder record, they had a better record because louder is perceived better because... um, So our ears have a thing called the Fletcher-Munson curve. The louder a signal is... If you hear two signals Mm -hmm. um, of the same thing, but one's 1 dB louder that one will sound better to you because it'll have more top end and more bottom end. Right. And we like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, humans just like that. So for, so they just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and making absolutely horribly crushed records, which probably ended with Metallica's um, Death Magnetic, which was oh, the one yeah. that was... Oh, yeah, that's one that clipped all yeah, the time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was wild. And um was mastered by a really fantastic mastering engineer, and apparently he threw the blame onto the guy before and said that's what it came like yeah he didn't they didn't they blame the engineer in the end yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, gotta blame someone which is crazy because I mean that record must have cost so yeah. much like, but I mean Metallica don't make good choices in general <laughs> the last good thing they did ah oh, could have put that on the list Metallica's S&M live album oh, with the orchestra yeah. is fucking love that sick yeah, yeah. so good um, so yeah uh, it's crushed to, to death and you can like you can hear the grit and the the shit of it I think probably gives the record a sound like every everything mm. that does that does give a record a sound um, and I've tried to emulate that by making loud records as well because making loud records is it's almost an ego thing it's like yeah. can I be louder than this record like um, so is, is the is the key to try and make it loud but not so it's like so that compression is it, in like you can you want, notice it you want to make it loud but sound dynamic you want to make yeah. it loud but you want to be able to so the more you compress and limit something it's almost like a smearing, a smudginess, right. yeah. uh, hard kind of grittiness. So you don't get this whole front to back thing that you get in really great records. Like yeah. I think a, a great example of a really quiet, um, deep like record with depth would be Boniver's, which was almost going to be on my list as well. His second album. Second album, so good. Yeah, what's it called? Uh, um, it's just called Boniver, I think, isn't it? Ah, sick. Yeah, yeah. And actually, the third record record's also fantastic. Yeah, it, it took me a little while to get into the third one, actually. Yeah, but, it was yeah. it was definitely different, but I think just 22 Million was the second one. Was, yeah, 
Yeah, Bon Iver. God, five years between albums. That's fucking sick. Like, you, you know he took his time on yeah. those records. Um, weirdly, I could probably talk a lot about that record. Which one? Bon Iver or the other one? Bon Iver, like, about how... So we bought a house. Um, I think it had, like, a pool in it, and they recorded basically the whole album in the pool. And I'm pretty sure he self-recorded that album as well. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. He's um, so 80s, isn't it? Ah, oh, yeah, so good. <laughs> and it's got a beat down in it. There's a bit like yeah, I didn't really notice that. It's fucking great. It's really, it's just really, oh man, he's he's incredible. And then the the more recent one, um, which 2016 is not that recent, but the more recent one is was it whenever whatever it was, um, was fantastic. Just because he played a saxophone through a vocoder, which is like vocoder is like the Imogen Heap song. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he played the saxophone through that, and that's such a big part of the record, and such a unique sound there. There's so much hidden in that album as well. Like, you just, it's like, so good. It's one of those ones you have to keep making sure that your headphones aren't broken. or like. Yeah, dude, yeah, because there's like shit that just sounds like it's broken. Yeah, it was like in one ear and then gone, and then it's yeah. in the next ear, yeah. It's such a... Gr- like, the, yeah, the, I think that's... Uh, that's probably... A, I should have put it on the list. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. It's on the list. Um, I think that... It's definitely had a big impression on me so from that was a production quiet. standpoint. So it was that quiet one. So yeah, I think Twenty Two Million is probably louder, but Bonnie the self-titled one's definitely much quieter. It's much darker as well, which is interesting. Yeah. Because um, I've definitely noticed with a lot of like, especially I mean, you you do a lot of like pop punk and punk rock and stuff like that. Yeah. Don't you? But like, if you listen to past pop punk records, especially, um, you can really notice the compression on it. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy like I mean like obviously you might if you, if you don't really know what it is you might not notice it but you say so, you know that kind of pulling back yeah you know so it's like the, you, it's, it's weird when you actively notice compression on like a guitar or something and it gets quieter so the vocal when the vocals come in or yeah whatever. that's yeah or like a, a real obvious one um, if you listen to like a record from the 2000s would be like um, say there's a big chorus yeah and then there's a quiet verse or a quiet chorus and it's almost louder than the chorus. Yeah, the yeah, chorus yeah. should be the biggest bit, and then it's. But it's because like it's gone from a full band arrangement to just a vocal and a guitar. But because it's limited so hard, and I'm talk, I talk with my hands so much that yeah, should have got a camera. Um, it's like it's take those two elements are taking up now taking up as much space as the eight elements that were going on in the chorus. Yeah, yeah. So they're so much louder. Um, I think one a really badly mastered record as well. That's also a fantastic record. It's Foo Fighters, um, one by one. Is it one by one or is it All My Life? Oh, one, one by one. Yeah. yeah. Um, which was the first album I ever bought on CD. Really? Yeah. I've been one of a few. Yeah, because it was two thousand two or something that album. Yes. Wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I remember buying it from HMV in the White Rose Centre in Leeds. Wow. Leeds till you die, man. <laughs> fuck yeah, dude. Um, it's. That record's sick, but it's, the production's horrible. I think I've never really noticed that. Maybe it's just because I'm not... Sometimes you don't concentrate on that if you've known it. I only noticed it recently as yeah. well. And then I read into it and how they recorded it once and they hated it and they almost split up and then they recorded it again, the one that they did release, and recorded it in like 10 days or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think I knew that. You can kind of tell. Yeah, Sounds yeah. like shit. But, but it's got the energy. Really good songs. Yeah. 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 I was going to... Um, uh, all right, so when you said he is legend... I I looked up the album. Yeah. Can we talk about how how dreadful that artwork is? I haven't seen it. <laughs> it's get the so up. bad, dude. It's... It was it was two thousand and four. Like things were different. Also, I was listening to it. and I was just like, this is the most two thousand and four album I've ever. Yeah, right. <laughs> it is, but I think it was. I think it was much more interesting because it's not like like they played with metalcore bands and then after this record they did um, what was the record called? Cause it had some wild. Suck Out the Poison, which was much more Every Time I Die-esque. And oh, like, yeah. It was like, He Is Legend, Every Time I Die, Maylene and the Sons of Disaster, a lot of those, like, those bands that had their whole, whole little like southern rock metalcore crossover thing yeah. for a minute. It's quite groovy riffs, isn't it? Yeah, that isn't... Dude, that I Am Hollywood album in 2004 would have been a fucking sick t-shirt to <laughs> yeah. wear with yeah, your would... sick fringe. Yeah, it would have been good. Yeah. And, dude... Looking at the track listing, it's so hard for me to find a favourite song because they're all great. Eating a Book's brilliant. The Creature Walks is brilliant. The Greatest Actor Alive or Dead is brilliant. China White names. Yeah. Um, and he references a lot of films and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
There's a song called China White on this record, and then on their next record, Suck Out the Poison, there is China White 2, I believe. Or is it? Yep, China White 2. I think on the It Hates You, is there China White 3? Yeah, so every <laughs> record has a China White. Interestingly, It Hates You had its UK release on um, a record label called Lab Records, right. who uh, was originally based in Manchester. It's run by a guy called Mark Orr. And when I was 16, I started a record label called All Aboard Records. Um, oh, I think I heard about that. We put out a split for Chaos Days and All or Nothing, which was cool. Um, a band called Pharaohs, a band called Maycomb. Uh, Chaos Days EP, what else do we do? Um, a couple of other bits. Oh, uh, I, one thing that I'm still really, really, I'm proud of them all, but one thing that I'm really still proud of is a record by a project called John Candy that was um, the singer and drummer of the band Futures and also Tonight's Goodbye. Tonight's Goodbye were one of my favourite bands. Mm-hmm. If there was an EP quarter of this, the Tonight's Goodbye Castles EP with my old all-time favourite from both of well no the, the lyrics haven't held up because honestly why did everyone in 2004 hate women like every <laughs> every lyric was just like fuck dude come on I listened back to You Me and Everyone We Know who were a band that I loved back then and I was just like dude you just hate women yeah, so much dead what cringe the? yeah yeah. Uh, yeah that's yeah so some records like that are really painful to listen back to but the Tonight's Goodbye record for me really stands out from a drum production mm-hmm point um peter miles produced it peter miles is one of my all-time faves Mm. and i i think it's one of his best productions he every song has a completely different drum sound snare sound especially um and that's kind of unusual really isn't it yeah it's something i keep trying to recreate as well because it's like you want each song to sound like that one song it doesn't have to sound like one album it has to sound like that song and then the album will come together yeah so like there's one uh, a couple of songs that have like dead like super ringy snares like the ringiest snare ever and one thing that I really liked was that a verse had a ringy snare and then the chorus they must have tracked the chorus separately and I remember when I was like sixteen or something when I heard it and I was like how did he do that did he have two <laughs> snares set up because this chorus had a oh no it wasn't the chorus it was um like a big bridge part yeah yeah had a really thunderous punchy snare drum. And I was like, how did he do it? And I was like, obviously, he just fucking tracked it separately. But <laughs> yeah. at the time, I was like, I don't understand As this. they did everything in real time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't record at that point, so I didn't understand. Um, and that's, that was a really big one for me, just because, like, before then, I think I'd really only heard, like, you know, the, that one snare sound that sounds like a snare drum. That, yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't, I think that record made me pay much more attention to productions and snare sounds and stuff, just because I was like... This is incredible. This is unreal. Yeah. Um, anyway, I went on a real tangent. You're going to have to tell tangents. me what, what we were talking about. <laughs> I can't remember if I wanted to. Oh, he's legend. Yeah. Um, scene t-shirts. Um, yeah. Terrible artwork. Fucking great record. I d- no, with these, like, with the last three that you've chosen, they're, like, all pretty theatrical. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? They're kind of, like, all a bit over the top. Well, I feel like an album, any, anything someone does should be the most of that thing yeah yeah. so like not holding back yeah what's the point of being understated like I'm saying that as like I feel like I'm quite an understated person but in a creative sense I want people that I record to do the most of whatever the thing that they're doing yeah you may as well you may as well do yeah yeah, your art's gonna outlive you so like (laughs) do do the best do the most of that thing and if you are a super understated person then you should be the most of that as well. Yeah, I suppose in a weird um, way that's kind of like almost what producers are for to an extent. So it's like the artist goes like, "Well, how about we do this?" And the producer goes like, "Okay, let's do it and see if it works." You know, yeah. it's like so you can do literally everything, and then the producer is the one that kind of sits there and goes like, "Well, actually, we don't need this part. Yeah, it would be better. It would might shine more if we took this part out." Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think um, the thing that I'm learning more and more is trying to keep keep bringing people back to what the intent of the song is. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I don't really have to do it with you. You, you know what you're doing. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what we do. But yeah. Some so like, for example, say if someone's playing a, a, a recent example was kind of a fun bouncy verse that mm-hmm. someone was playing quite aggressively and didn't. It was like a jarring yeah. thing of like what the emotion of the uh, part was. And it's it's something that most comes up with vocals. Um, like I remember asking a singer recently. I was like, th- they were delivering a line that was quite. 
they were delivered again in a quite an aggressive way and I was like are you are you angry about this are you, and the line was super sad and I'm like are you angry about this are you sad about this because it, I think that definitely dictates the way you should deliver it and mm-hmm. what then like pushing the intent and the message that you're trying to convey um how did I get out of that did I but it's interesting the, yeah um, the like I, I wonder if that's like a and because you're nervous about recording yeah oh god yeah especially being a singer it's like it's like the scariest thing in the world because you're um it's not like i i can put a drummer in time i can reach you in a guitar yeah but a singer is such a personal thing so i feel it's really important to like make them as comfortable as possible yeah. and like do everything they can like if the worst thing if you if you're in a band and you have a singer singing Never, ever, ever tell them, oh, that was shit. Don't ever do that. You'll ruin probably the day of the takes. It's like you've got to be super supportive because they're putting so much out there. Um, It's such a a physical thing as well, isn't it? Oh, fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, it's like you really, if if you're putting a lot of effort into something, like you said, you don't want to be put down for it. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, you're putting yourself on a chair, aren't you? Like, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. It's like it's like if somebody, so it's like if you if you do like a press up or something, and then yeah. you know you, you're like putting everything into it, and you're working really hard to do this thing, and then somebody goes like, "You're doing that wrong." Yeah, and it's just like I mean, you could have waited a minute. You know, yeah. like you know, like you're you're most vulnerable. Wait after. till I'm done with the set, dude. Yeah, it's like you're you're the most vulnerable after you do those things, aren't yeah. you? Like, do you know what I mean? Because you're just emotionally, physically yeah. quite exhausted. And there's a way to tell people what they're doing isn't quite right, and there's a way to approach it or like not isn't quite right but just making sure that they understand that what they're doing needs is is doing it in the way that they need it to be done and mm-hmm. that the song needs it to be done I suppose um, with um, I suppose with a lot of the bands you record as well like the singers aren't necessarily they're not the trained singer yeah you know they are just singing because they've, they've got, got something to say yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Or maybe they maybe they started a band and they were they decided that they fancied giving it a go or something or yeah. they were the one that got nominated or you know whatever yeah like it's not like cause sometimes it's, they're the one that writes the lyrics yeah like, yeah the lyrics are super personal and super important to them and it'd be weird for someone else to like I've had that a few times with bands where they've got a few different singers and like um, like Don Blake is a really great example of that because three of them sing um, and they sing the songs that they they write and it'd be super weird for one of the other ones to sing the song that they're yeah. because the songs are so... Yeah, it's because, yeah, especially if it's, like, specific lyrics and stuff like yeah. that. But, I mean, yeah, I always think that's quite impressive when... I think, was, was it Black Sabbath, where it was, like... I think it was one of the... I think it was, like, the bassist or the drummer that wrote all the lyrics. Oh, really? Yeah, which I thought was kind of... It's just interesting, isn't it? Because it's, like, it means... Yeah. In theory, it means nothing to Aussie to sing. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't think anything meant... <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the time that's anyway. also true. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just, it's definitely interesting. Uh, what I was going to say is when, because you were saying apart playing aggressively or whatever, because I find, I definitely find, I think maybe because I'm, I'm more a singer than I am a guitarist. Yeah, I definitely find guitar, I like more pressure in the studio than ah. I find vocals. But I think it's just because I've done so much vocals in my yeah, life yeah dude you also like vocally to record you is generally one one or two takes all the way through <laughs> the song which is never happens like that like for the majority of cases it. it's just not the way that I record vocals and when you did it I was like ah. I remember we recorded like we were literally it was like one evening and you'd done a song and I was like oh okay do you want to just do some more like should we do a few <laughs> songs and we literally did like three songs in a row Without taking a break. Yeah, yeah. I was... That it's was g- fucking great. <laughs> well, I would like this kind of... I've, I'm much more comfortable with that. And I know yeah. when I'm good and I know when I'm bad. Mm. So, like, I've... We once recorded a song with a friend of mine. And we did all of my vocals. And then... So, technically, the whole song was done. And, like... I sent a message afterwards and I was just like... I don't think my vocals were very on point. I don't think I... I don't think I gave as much as I could to it. And yeah. he was like, I don't know. Nobody else knew this. And I was like, can we please do If it you again? notice that's all yeah. the marks, dude. And like, so he went back and did them again. He was like, yeah, you were right. Yeah. Right. And it's not like, it's 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 not a noticing, is it? It's that what's going to make people um, resonate with your song most, something where you only gave like 90% of what you could possibly do or yeah. the thing where it was, again, the whole, everyth- it's, it's everything, the everything, most thing yeah. you could poss- possibly yeah. do. Because also, I mean, like doing something cheesy, I mean, again, like, che- like cheesy and cliches and stuff I mean if you look at like that My Cam album yeah. it's full of cliches oh it's my god yeah chock full of them you know like they put every like 
theatrical cliche like musical like ridiculousness in in one go and like it's because they work yeah i mean and also i think it does get dumbed down so it's like if you go over the top in the studio it won't come across as over top when everything else is involved yeah do you know so it's like it we'd be better to do too much than to uh, oh my god yeah absolutely i think dude i think it's the same with like so for the, this podcast, as an example, mm-hmm. we are talking way more dramatically than we talk to each other in real life. Yeah, that is but true. it's because it's well, I good. Don't know. I think we quite talk quite. We talk, yeah, yeah, but I feel like we're explosions we're, and like, yeah, like, yeah. highs and faces. Because because I think in the format, if if someone was here and we were chatting to them about it, it'd be a different, comp- yeah, different of situation it, yeah, yeah. because of the format dictates the performance that you give. Give and it's the same in like singing a song. It's yeah. like you need to overdo it. To make it sound normal. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I can either talk about a record that is the bad singer one or the theatrical over the top good singer one. Let's do, let's do what you consider the bad singer one first. It's not a bad singer. Uh, Arctic Monkeys, whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not. Again, what year was that? 2003? So that was 2006. Really? Mm. So it's probably a little later than you think it is. It's like the indie boom. Did the indie boom happen that late on? Fuck. Well, yeah, well, I think it was probably about, I think, like, 2004, 2006 was probably... Holy shit, dude. Sick. All right. That's wild. Um, I, almost every song on that album is my karaoke song. <laughs> I have been told off by a few bouncers at karaoke for how wild I go singing when the sun goes down. <laughs> it's such a good song, though. Such a good song, and people go wild. <laughs> um, people love it when I do it's karaoke for that song. Yeah, it's, it's all to do with you and nothing to do with the song. That's exactly it. It's, it's a perform. No. Um, it's just like I don't know if it's being Yorkshire helps but it's just I think it's brilliant they managed to capture something that was so of the time and made it so timeless and they also so much of the stuff that they talk about and they reference um, is so like just like true to life and I think that's really interesting that they made a record that was so like honest and real just for like Four teenage lads, yeah, that resonates so much with so many people, and that that record is not theatrical, um, but it is very storytelling, isn't it? Very storytelling, yeah. yeah. And like, the the everyone who says it sounds like it's a shit production. I think it's a great production. Um, it's interesting, definitely. Like I don't, to be honest, I never really listened to it for the production. Yeah, so like, it's well, it's you don't, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it was pre- it was recorded all live, uh, except for the vocals. So oh, they all played it in a room together. Um, I don't think there was even much baffling in that room either. I can't remember. I remember reading a Sound on Sound article about it like 10 years ago. Um, yeah, so it was all recorded live and they basically just like record. I think they recorded a song a day and they just kind of kept tracking the song until it was right and yeah. then moved on. Um, no click, none of that. And I think knowing that makes it, puts it in context of why it doesn't sonically, like it's not sonically incredible, but I think it sounds. I think the, the drums sound fucking sick. I think it sounds really exciting. I think it puts forward exactly what it's that band It's exciting, need. isn't it? Like, yeah. It sounds like a first album, which is good. If you compare that to the like the most recent one, Tranquility, like if Arctic Monkeys released that first, it, I don't know what would have happened. I don't think it would have done well. Yeah. Because it's too much for the first album. I think... Although the next album that I'm going to talk about is probably going to be too much for the first album and made it work, but yeah. for Four Lads from Sheffield, that was the perfect thing for the first album to be, to sound that way. Yeah. It's, it's every, I just think what's funny about it is the guitar tone is really interesting. Yeah. And like what he's doing on the guitar a lot of is really interesting as well, because it's not just chords, is it? There's, yeah. like, there's a lot going on. You're like, I mean, obviously that record's there, but he's, he's doing a lot to get to those chords. Yeah. And yeah, it's kind of for me. It was that sort of guitar sound seemed to make a lot of what the indie scene was. Yes, like so small scratchy. combo kind of yeah. um, Fender Deluxe or a Fender, uh, or like a Vox AC Thirty or a Fifteen. Like especially that, yeah, your guy because <laughs> um, and and recorded with the like recording the combo rather than recording the combo through a cab, which is something I yeah. generally do gives it that very mid-rangey um it's got like a lower mid-range character 
that just sounds it just yeah it just sounds like indie from the mid two thousands. Yeah, um, I was I was, I was like a bit like baffled how they all and that suddenly all that sound. It's, from what I remember, it came out of that album. You know, yeah, I mean, that album hit, and then suddenly every band were doing that sound. I probably that makes sense. To be fair though, I didn't listen to that album in two thousand six. I was a little fucking mosher, and yeah. I only listened to rock music, and I only started listening to that album later on. Um, it still stands up though. Like, yeah, it really does. And that's well, that's the weird thing is that when you know listen to that started probably started listening to it later, like when I was twenty or something. Yeah. And that hitting me in the same way is I think is makes it a really well crafted album. Yeah. Well, I um I didn't I didn't like Arctic Monkeys at the time. They're a bit like uh, a bit like Mike. I'm like, yeah. They just weren't my thing. I think because I was a bit of a metalhead as a kid. Yeah. Um, and I don't well, well a bit. I don't. I kind of just think most people just kind of slot somewhere yeah. in the middle, don't they? Yeah. But like, I I think just because every band sounded like that in that one indie band, you know, like, yeah. and they, they were the figureheads of that. I just yeah. kind of automatically... It's like all the it. normal kids in school liked indie work. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, so I think I just automatically disliked it. And then much quicker than My Chemical Romance, I think a couple of years later, I kind of revisited it and I was like, oh, actually, these are good songs. Yeah, really great songs. Um, the next song, the next oh, yeah. album... On the, pick on, a song. Pick a song. Fuck. <laughs> Fake Tales of San Francisco, maybe just because it's like, isn't that from San Francisco? I don't even know the words. Maybe that one. Although, honestly, they're all fucking sick. Like, looking at the light, you can't. It's perfect. Every <laughs> song. I'm, re- you I'm look reading at it, You look at it like it's your baby or something. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Nope, can't. Not possible. I'll take your first answer. Um, let's talk about the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. The first album that was way too much and way too dramatic <laughs> and absolutely brilliant. Um, Panic at the Disco is a fever you can't sweat out, which I have always said is my all-time favourite album. Um, all-time, really? I think so. It's just brilliant. Um, they were 16 when they wrote that. That is that's crazy. <laughs> absolutely mental. I could do barely anything when I was um, 16. Yeah, I think... Just like Brendan Urie's vocal, his vocal range yeah, and just his control at that age as well. Mm. It's funny because if you listen to the lyrics and you look at pictures of them when they were like 16 and they're talking about like all the lyric, the things when they're talking about having sex and stuff and it's just like, oh, you guys aren't having sex. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's just the, it's such a great album in the way that they had a concept for it going in. They had... They, they wanted to make a record with two sides. They had the... Oh, cool. So, I like, mean, at the time as well, that wasn't really being... Like, it's kind of being me being revisited yeah, nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Like... Um, so they had the electronic one, and then they had the kind of um, oldies-style one, cabaret-style thing. Yeah. And um, my favourite side was always the cabaret-style thing. And just, like, the arrangements on it, uh, it's still unreal to me. Like, yeah. there's so many things, like... I need to look at the song names because I'll totally forget. Because, um, yeah, again, it, it's that complete theatrics thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like, but um, is that, did they have, like, was there a big producer handed it if they were that young? Absolutely. Well, have had to have been, yeah. Um, I'm not sure because it was on, it came out on um, Fueled by Ramen, but I'm not sure if that was like a, if they were like a signed to a major and yeah, then so put like out a few foot. So like a subsidy? Subsidiary, yeah, yeah but yeah, I don't know who they were a subsidiary of. Um, it might have come out through Decadence, which I know was um, Pete Wentz's label. But I don't know if it was, um, yeah, it, they may have got signed to a major and then put out for that. Or maybe, I mean, it came out in 2005 and there was still enough money to put a band in for like two months to make yeah. a really cool record yeah well I mean that, is, that still was kind of still music industry yeah like, to an extent wasn't it yeah absolutely I mean yeah. it was like breaking at that point I suppose but yeah and yeah because I mean there were so many records back then that sounded great and had really cool um, had big budgets to be able to make so they did they were 16 when that came out and that came out in 2005 so I heard they were 16 when they wrote it I imagine they were maybe 17 or 18 yeah. when they recorded it so like oh, as they were writing it man, that feels like so that's basically like my age. Yeah, dude, I'm like, I've wasted my life. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. And also, dude, have you seen Brendan Urie recently? The dude's hot. Holy <laughs> shit, he looks amazing. His abs. That's, that's like, the dream. You know when, um, you know when, like, I don't know if you're a football fan, but if you ever watch football and they go on like, uh, 
oh, it's the uh, youngest person on the pitch today is, is like 16. You're just like, oh, that's it. I'm never going to be a footballer. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever think you were going to be? When I was a kid, when I was like eight, I said that I was going to... I told the teacher that um, they were like, well, what does everyone want to do for when they grow up? And uh, apparently I, I just said, like, uh, I'm going to be the goalkeeper for Man United. Yeah. And uh, she was like, okay, um... Well, what happens if that, for argument's sake, that doesn't happen? I was just like, I am going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I, when, I turned, when I turned 28, I was like, I might, I might go to it's apologize. About, it's about, <laughs> yeah. about time, yeah. maybe, maybe that's not, I mean, it's still Go back, happen. I'm going to be in a punk band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I'm just like, maybe it gets to that point, doesn't it? You're just like, oh, I thought I was young. And then they go like, near, near retirement. Yeah. So, 29. <laughs> like, yeah, oh. <laughs> God, yeah, getting old sucks. I stayed up till half twelve watching the rest of Stranger Things last night, and I am paying for it today. Really? Is it only eight episodes long? This one? Yes. Because uh, the last episode is like an hour and seventeen minutes. Oh, though. okay. Because I, uh, for context, I just moved house and I don't have internet in the next house, so I've been da- I downloaded it onto my Kindle oh, to so watch in the house. But nice. I've only I've only seen five episodes, and I felt cheated. Cheated. Uh, to be fair, I mean it's eight great episodes. I'd rather have eight great episodes than twenty two. Mm. And have a, was it the episode two where it had that one in the middle where she went and found a bunch of like superheroes or oh on season two yeah. yeah everyone hated that episode I thought it was cute and yeah. it was fun oh, it was just like it was a it was zany it was fun. zany <laughs> kooky they were they were experimenting season two wasn't as good as season three or season one so that one that one episode was dead My Chemical Romance yes <laughs> yeah. It went a bit emo for a bit. It yeah, a bit it was. Yeah, Spider-Man it was fucking 3. sick. Have you seen all the memes that are going about? Like, there's pictures of ele- there's um there's a uh, Paramore one where it's like el- the the first album and picture of Eleven, second album, then her in her like goth phase, yeah. and then like the newest album with her in like a cool like eighties <laughs> outfit. It's fucking sick. Um, Panic of the Disco. Uh, That's back when they had remember you. the type the. Best thing about the title is that they had two songs that went into each other. But again, oh my god, Panic of the Disco. You guys hate women, don't you? Lying is the b- most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off. Is that... Is that actually what the lyric is? That's a title. Bad times. I'm s- it's fucking 20. It's just too a, bad that, I think like a lot of that sort of punk, pop punk scene, especially like the... Oh my god, the, dude, uh, yeah. The so, has yeah. not aged well in terms yeah. of the lyrics. I mean, I suppose it probably wasn't, well, it wasn't good at the time, but like... Yeah. Looking back, I suppose. I guess people weren't as aware. People didn't... Uh, not that they didn't know, but people didn't pay enough attention. I don't know. I don't know also, I mean, I don't really reckon a lot of the record labels gave a shit, did they? They, no. You know, if it, if it was going to sell, then... Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> God, if someone came into the studio with lyrics like that, that would have like, like yeah. dude, we have to rethink yeah. this. <laughs> Do you want to come back tomorrow? And we'll yeah. Ch- <laughs> yeah. You go home. <laughs> Do you do, do you do research before you check that? Like, if somebody gets in touch, do you? If, uh, I did. I don't really have to now. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, normally, I guess, like, because people know the records that I've worked on, the, ba- the, the kind of bands that I work with, I don't think I'm going to get some, like, misogynist bro come asking to record with me anyway, just because, like, it's no. so opposite to all the, the bands that I work with. Yeah. yeah. I suppose a lot of it is word of mouth, isn't it? So it's yeah. Like, Friends of friends. And, yeah, uh, I'm not known, not known in the knobhead scene. So. <laughs> That's a good place to yeah. be. Cool. Well, those are, those are your five albums. Those are my five albums. And we'll move on to your book. Ah, oh, fuck. I read so many self-help books. Yeah, I remember telling me No one else is going to help you. you got to help yourself. <laughs> um, this, is, this is really, really hard for me to find one. I thought, since I'm on an island... Mm-hmm. I need something... There's like four different options already for the island. I'm probably going to mention more than one book, but I'll say the one book. Okay. You can mention more than one, but you're... You're You can't stop me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is my studio. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I think if I was on an island, I would need a book that would keep keep me in a mind frame that would allow me to leave that island eventually, which would be my goal. I don't want to, I'd be so fucking bored on an island. <laughs> I'd be so bored. So, uh, the book is called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Ryan Holiday is a really interesting guy. He, um, he talked about doing shit young. So he was the 
VP of marketing at American Apparel when he was like 18. Right. And um, he also like did a bunch of book launches and like um, did marketing for that. And he did some really wild things that eventually came out in a book that he wrote called Trust Me, I'm Lying. Because a lot of the things he did definitely weren't necessarily like moral things. Yeah, yeah. Or like, um, ah, shit, what was some of the stuff that he did? Ah, you'll have to read the book. <laughs> that book. Um, but at the end of that book, he also talks about how um, how shit it was. And it's almost like an apology. Just like, I've, yeah. I've grown up. Yeah. Because he went through this whole thing and like American Apparel at the time was definitely a the dude that ran it was a dickhead. Um, yeah, it had quite a bad reputation for a Real bad reputation, yeah, yeah the guy sucked. Um, so, came out of the other side and basically started writing books based on Stoic philosophy, which is the philosophy of um, people like Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, uh, to be fair, they're probably the two biggest, then they've got like Cato, uh, I was Plato, Plato might have been stuck. No, I don't think he was. Rings a bell, but yeah. I'm not sure, yeah. Anyway, so dudes from like 2,000 years ago. <laughs> so Old dudes. Man. Old as fuck dudes. Uh, Marcus Aurelius was a Roman emperor. Um, Seneca was the advisor to some prince or emperor mm-hmm. or some dude. Uh, a guy called Nero. No, I always, I always remember it because of Cafe and Nero. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, actually, he was really young. That's why he was the advisor. Seneca was old, but Nero oh, okay. was old. He's, he's old now. He's dead now. Um, Stoic philosophy is a field of philosophy which is basically like almost, I guess, just controlling your emotional response to things. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to something the other day. I was talking about like between between impulse and response, you have a choice. And like Stoic philosophy is a lot about that. It's also there was also a, a bunch of cool shit. So like. Um, one thing that Seneca would do uh, it was called practiced poverty, where you he'd say like you wear the roughest of clothes, eat the scantiest of fare, to know that you don't need all the shit you've got. He yeah. was a rich dude. Seneca <laughs> was like the rich um, Stoic philosopher, which again a lot of people were like, you can't be a rich Stoic philosopher. But he, he was. Yeah. Um. Uh. So he did that just to make sure that he knew that he didn't need all this stuff. And then Cato was an interesting one. So at the time, it was the fashionable thing was to wear a pink, a purple tunic. Cato, he went around in the blue one. People always took the piss out of him, but he did it. So he would, wouldn't would give a shit about people taking the piss or people noticing things that don't matter. Right, yeah. So, so kind of like, kind of grounding himself. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So he like if he was concerned about something, he knew he was concerned about something important, something that mattered, not just like... Uh, just not just like gossip and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the obstacle is the way is a fantastic book that weaves a lot of Stoic philosophy ideas into historical um, things. And basically, the obstacle is the way means the obstacle is generally you can turn that problem into the way that gets you out of that problem. Okay. And I probably need that on an island. Yeah. Because I need yeah to like help me figure out. How I'm that makes co- sense, right? Because whatever's going to get you off that island is probably on that island. Exactly. So that book's fucking great. He also did a brilliant book that should be recommended reading for everyone on Earth called Ego is the Enemy, which is self-implied. It's also the, it's basically the part two of Obstacle is the Way, but mm-hmm. um, it just talks about like people who have succeeded in spite of their... Uh, no, succeeded because they controlled their ego, or people who have failed because they succumbed to their ego. Um, that book's fucking great. I also, I don't read much fiction, but I just, for the first time in like seven or eight years, read Galapagos by Kurt Vonnegut again, and oh, he's cool. my all-time favourite fiction author, and I think it's just, he's just a really kind author. And, really um, interesting. I've only read Slaughterhouse. Uh, oh, that's by... brilliant as well. Yeah. I'll, I'll lend you Galapagos, it's great. It's yeah, definitely. I think it's my favourite. Um, so, yeah, he's, every anything by Kurt Vonnegut is the best. And to be fair, that'd do me good on an island, because actually, I think... Um, the second book, uh, uh, Sirens of Titan, might be a real good one because I think it's about being alone. Slaughterhouse Five would probably be a good one as well. Yeah. Any of those, any Kurt Vonnegut book yeah. would make you probably very be like, re-readable as well. Yeah, yeah, really is. And then if I wasn't on an island and I just had to talk about some books, which I'm going to do because I want to talk about <laughs> books. Okay, Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, scammiest title on earth, um, but just helps people realize that you don't have to work a nine to five to make a living. There are a lot of and there are a lot of ways of making your way through life financially. 
Um, I mean, you've uh, we've spoken a lot about that because you yeah. clearly because you you were a bit of a workaholic. It seems like anyway. Uh, I definitely from the outside. was. Uh, I'm not as much now. I've kind of had to learn not to be because about a year or so ago. So I I was really into this dude called Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, who's like famous for working 20 hours a day and I was like cool yeah. I want to do that I'll get so much done I'll make better records than everyone and it's not possible to work 20 hours a day you will burn out I burnt out like fuck I could barely work for two months because of it really um, and now and and since then I've read a bunch of books just about productivity productivity how we learn and how our brain works and how important sleep is um, a couple of books with the, those would be Peak Performance by Brad I can't remember his name uh, but peak performance is absolutely fantastic, and it talks about basically the best the, the way to optimize your time mm-hmm. and how to work most effectively. Um, on a small side note, figure out if you're a morning person or an evening person. You do your heads down analytical work. If you're a morning person, for this example, because most people will be um, in the morning, do like the really important work in the morning. Then in the afternoon, you will have a dip of productivity. Do some shit you don't need to do. Do like emails. I do. I do like cutting the silences between toms and stuff like that then later on in the day you'll have a creative period which is good for like brainstorming and stuff like that yeah. um that book's fucking great also there was <laughs> this is like blowing my mind okay. sorry because <laughs> um, i had to do the books um there's uh, uh ariana huffington did a book about sleep which is great um just about the importance of sleep and if you are if, if you're existing on about four hours of sleep you basically have the equivalent of a blood alcohol level of like not one percent or one percent. Basically, oh, yeah, you're like over your the limit. Yeah. yeah. Of um, so like, you can't fucking do shit. So, I real I learned that, um, and now I do eight hour days. No matter what, I do eight hour days. I can't do more than that because I will not be good for the next day, and the next day might be for a different band, and it's unfair. Yeah, for that band you want to be on form for people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and there are. Like, there are producers who, who do, like, the 14-hour days. And, like, me and my girlfriend want to have kids in the next, like, probably a few years. So yeah, yeah. I don't want to be a, the kind of dad that comes back at, like, 10 p.m. or 12 or never sees my kid. Yeah, so, yeah. like, I'm trying to put things in place now for the future. So Such I, a sensible bastard. I'm really fucking boring. I'm <laughs> so boring. I'm so sensible. But, yeah, I want to put those things in place now so that... It's not a shock when it has to happen because it'll have to happen. Um, okay, that book's great. Uh, this is a weird one because everyone hates talking about money. I only read it about a month ago and it's called I Will Teach You To Be Rich. I love, love books with scammy titles. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's by yeah. Ramit Sethi. He's fucking great. He just uh, talks. It's just real sensible personal finance. I think it's well worth reading for everyone. Um, if you don't have any money, still read it. It's useful. It's really useful just to kind of have a better understanding of how money works and how investment works. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I always knew that the best place to put your money, technically, is in an index fund, which is something like the S&P 500, which tracks the 500 biggest um, companies, tracks their progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the past 100 years, that's averaged an 8% yield. Now, if you continually put money into that account, uh, you will get a great amount of compound interest over that time. So you could say over the period of your life, if you put 100 grand in or something, that 8% compounded and compounded and compounded over that, as 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 well as, say, you're putting like 100 quid a month into it or whatever, yeah. will um, compound to the point where you've probably got like 250 grand at the end of that. Ooh. And 150 grand of that is because of um, yeah. the compound interest. So... Um, it talks about that. It talks about how... To, it just basically... It's basically a, I fucking love books that are just like, do this, this will happen. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of... A lot of people just ignore money. Do yes. You know what I mean? Like, oh cause it's, God, it's, yeah. a, it's like a dirty... It's like a dirty topic, isn't it? Yeah. Like, and it's fucked that that's... Like, I, I don't know if it's like a real British thing or something, but it's just like, yeah, we... I don't think it's a generational thing for us as well because we don't have as much as the generations before did. Mm. Um, but it's really important and it's... It's a skill. Like, you can learn about it. So you should learn about it because you don't want to be 65 and you can't retire yeah. because you've got no money. Yeah. And, like, again, I, because I'm self-employed, 
I don't have a what's it called pension. pension yeah. I don't have a pension or anything yeah. like that. So I need to make sure that I'm the one. You so who's... incredibly, don't have one. That you can't remember the name. I think I have a state one. Yeah, I think you get everyone, one. Everyone don't gets a state one. Yeah. Um, so and obviously, I don't want to fucking retire. I want to record till I'm dead. <laughs> I'll die at the mixing console. But if something happens, if I get really ill and I can't work yeah, and I yeah. can, I'm self-employed. So I need to be able to work. Yeah, to it's kind of something you just don't consider. I think yes. it's very easy, easy to not think about. Yeah. And it's because you just are so far in the future. Yeah, man. Exactly. Like, um, and also, so there's a, I think the part of our brain that recognises long-term decisions doesn't really fully form till about 25. Oh, right. So don't make dumb decisions when you're 21 because you'll probably regret them. Um, <laughs> wait, wait. Um, okay, so that book, yeah, everyone hates talking about money. Talking about money is important. If you want to talk about money and you feel weird about it, talk to me about money. I'll talk to you about it and I'll help however I can. Um, that's probably the, that's probably it for my book section, cool. I think. That's but, good, man. That was really, that was really interesting. She's like, finish, Bob. Stop talking no, no, about no, books. Honestly, no, it's fucking well yeah, cool. Because again, it's, it. it's interesting because like, everyone said something different. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, and it's like, uh, Ren said a book of her mate who wrote um, Robin did War of the Worlds and oh, like, yeah, that she just awesome. like waxed lyrical about fucking War of the Worlds and it just like guy came out of that just like I'm going to read that book right now yeah I can't believe it came out in uh, 1897 yeah, it's so old it talks about some like lasers and shit like absolutely that absolutely mental um, so sick so we'll we'll move on to uh, we're going to wrap up relatively soon yes so, um, move on to your luxury item alright I want to get off this fucking island. I am taking a saw. I'm going to cool. cut down some trees. I'm going to make a boat. I'm going to get off the island. Okay. <laughs> I'll be so bored on the island. Yeah, what's so, on this island? Wait, what's... So, I was going to say, like, I was going to say, how do you think you do on the desert island? Because, like, is it... Is it, like, the Isle of Man? Because I'll be all right there for a bit. Nah, no, so it's not the Isle of Man. So, you are uh, alone on this island. I mean, there will be wildlife. Cool. Um, it is... It's not, like, one tree... Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a bit bigger than that. Um, but it's not huge. You could probably walk around it in a day. All right. You know, like, but uh, probably less than a day. I reckon less than a day. Cool. But you, yeah. don't, you know, it's a that little... That's quite big. That's yeah, just like the size of, like, Kowanta in Thailand. That's one yeah. of, I've only been to a few island islands. So right. It's okay. a good reference point for me. All it's right, yeah. So I think, like, you know, you've got, you've got a bit of space. Yeah. You've got a bit of space. There are, there will be, there will be fruits, you know. Mm. But, like, it's, you're by yourself. Yeah. And you fundamentally aren't going to get rescued, so you have to make your own way off. So it's like, I, would you be good? Would you reckon you would just get bored as fuck straight away, or do you think you'd make use of the time? I think I'd say I'd definitely try and make use of the time for a bit. Because, um, like, I love the sea. Everyone loves the sea. Everyone loves being near yeah, the sea. You say that, but, like, uh, Ryan, Ryan gets scared as shit. Oh, he's fucked. He's staying there. Yeah. Good, isn't he? Um, <laughs> he just move right in line. Yeah. Uh, I've really love the sea I think it's really relaxing um, yeah I'd probably I'd stay there for a bit I'd want to enjoy it and also um, funnily enough the book Galapagos talks about a similar situation except oh, spoiler alert well it kind of tells you what happens at the yeah. start of the book but we stuck on, it's, it's basically book. like about um, watching some people who got stranded on the island of, of the, one of the Galapagos Islands for a million years and what happened with evolution on that. Cool. Um, I don't want to get stuck on that island for a million years. But the start of it sounds nice. You know, yeah, maybe be trees. relaxing for a little bit. Mm. Uh, yeah, cut down the trees. Uh, use the leaves to make some kind of boat. Should have maybe just got... A, I'm going to read a book about building boats. I'll have to do that yeah. in advance. We'll come back in a year yeah. and have this nailed. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just want to get off it and see my cats as soon as possible. I'm a girlfriend. As soon as possible. Yeah. Cool, man. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you and, uh, for having for, me. For being stranded. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, dude. Cheers. Awesome.